What's up, everybody? Hello, friends. There's no Joel here. We have no Joel. So guess who's taking over? It's me, and we got Spencer, and we got David, and, and good news, everybody. So I think some of you know, because you follow us on Twitter, at Windaily Sports, at Tee Sports, at Deep Dive Golf, and at Sia Najad, that we had a different winner last week, and it was Team Sia audience. And I'm going to give the audience credit, because you all know that you're doing most of the picks. I may veto one here or there, but... You all, team audience, before I even introduce everybody, anybody, I want to make sure that you all know you get to pick the draft order. So everybody that's already in here, and it's a lot of you. Hello, Byron. Hello, Carmen, Ed. We see everybody. Hi, Zach. Um, tell us where you want to pick. First, second, third, or fourth. You're not teamed up with me. It's just the three of us in the audience. So you guys get your own team, and you're going for two in a row. Has the? Let me ask you this. Let me introduce David first. David, do you think the audience has ever one two in a row I, i'm not asking I mean, that disparagingly it's just a question i, I don't know if they've ever won either and oh, uh, maybe maybe spencer would know the um, answer to this question spencer what's what's the answer to that question i'm bringing it up right now i can i can give you the answer in a second um yes yeah they they won the honda and the api in 2022 it, so that's that would have been back-to-back -back wins then Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it, audience. Well done. It's been about a year, so we got to step up our game, or you got to step up your game a little bit. But everybody, welcome to the PGA Draftcast, brought to you by Wind Daily Sports, of course. Uh, Joel, a little under the weather, so I'll be I'll be taking over the intro duties. But we really want to cut to the chase. But before we do that, um, I had a nice DFS week last week. Uh, almost took down the PME. I think I finished seventh, which was you know a nice payout. I actually thought in match play, I, I thought I had it because I had Cam Young and Sam Burns in the final two. I forgot that the consolation bracket was actually going to be picking up points too. So here I was thinking I was going to pass three or four people, maybe five on my way to a, a second or a third place, but didn't turn out that way. Seventh place, I'll take it. Spencer, how is everything going? How was the match play? It's such a weird event, right? So it's it's one of those, it's, it can be very hit or miss. Um, did you hit? Did you miss? Uh, the match play is my favorite event. So I'm. Uh, it's sad to see it off the schedule and, I'm up about 20 units over the last four years of playing that tournament. I made about 3.2 units. I had all these rollover bets going on Cameron Young throughout the round. So uh, if he could have beaten Sam Burns in the final, it would have been about a 10-unit win for me. Instead, it ended up being roughly a 3.2 sort of win. So uh, fun tournament. Hope it's back on the schedule. It's great at Austin Country Club. Uh, sad to see it go if it is gone. And David, I want to ask you how your match play went, but I also want to ask you, you you just recently qualified for something, correct? You're kind of like, you're over in New right. Zealand. I, I don't know that you have DraftKings. You have your own sort of DFS format over there, but it's not DraftKings per se. But my understanding is that you have qualified for something quite big from a DFS standpoint and relating, of course, to PGA. Uh, what is it? Yeah, so um, very, very good week at the Punta Cana, um, very close to taking out a few showdowns, but um, yeah, most importantly, won a satellite qualifier to the Masters, which is one of only 10 tickets, so I'll be going against uh, nine other teams um, for 20k prize pool with 10,000 to first place, so in terms of New Zealand DFS and Australia DFS, that's basically as big as it gets. Um, I mean, to, to put it in perspective, the qualifiers have about 240 people in them in their $10 entries. So um, to turn that into potentially 10 grand will uh, be, be a very, very nice return. Um, but yeah, with no DraftKings as of yet, I am still lobbying to have them bought here. Um, I think it's just fear of some of the regulation, which I know that they've really struggled with in the States to, um, you know, to spread and get um, get live in many of the, the different states, depending on what their, their legislation allows them. Unfortunately, here in New Zealand, well, I mean, maybe not unfortunately, but um, it's basically a fair game. We can play DFS, we can gamble online, we can go to international bookmakers. There's lots of different options for people who are pursuing those routes. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think DraftKings have really caught on that like, there's, there's nothing to prevent them coming here. So um, rumour is they're moving to Australia very, very shortly and then um, coming across to New Zealand. So... All of you DraftKings players, um, watch out. I may very, very soon be in the same contest going head-to-head -head with you guys. Well, that's one spot taken inside the top 10 or 20 pretty much on a, on a weekly basis in our single entries. Let me ask one question before we get to the course breakdown. Spencer, mm -hmm. I want to ask this to you. 
because for whatever reason, there, there are people who are like, you know what, I'm just not excited about this one. I'm just going to go over and wait to the Masters because we're going to have these awesome tournaments and we got these awesome players and the live guys are coming back. It's going to be really interesting. All of that is true. But what's not true is that we can't have some fun and make a lot of money in these non-designated events with these quote-unquote watered-down fields. I, I, I can tell you, Spencer, before I get to your answer, I, I've been doing even better in the non-designated events than, than the majors or, like, let's say, the designated ones. The Masters next week, of course, will be our first major. But um, what say you on the, quote, you know, lesser talent, watered-down field? I mean, you are somebody that has been – your record is so pristine from a just betting standpoint over the last three or four years. Does it make a difference to you that it's the Valero versus the Masters? I know that sounds like a crazy question, but I have to get an answer. I approach everything from a statistical perspective with it, with golf, and even like Sia, you and I have talked about it before. Um, I don't have the prototypical background of somebody who played high school or college golf. Like everything that I approach with it comes from a mathematical edge of what I can find. And I have happened to find over the years that it's a lot of times these watered down tournaments where you can get your biggest advantage. Like if you look and the masters is kind of a bad example of this because it's a, you know, 88, 89 person tournament. So it says reduce as it can be. And the problem is the bottom end of the field are all the champions that are like 80 years old at this point. Uh, they probably don't have a leg legitimate chance to win it. And then you have all your good players coming. But even if you look at a generic tournament that you want to throw out there, it, it kind of holds the same principle at the end of the day with it. It's where it's star versus star. You get a lot of these prices in the matchups and in different sectors of the market where I think the whole percentage happens to be a little bit bigger. And, you know, if you look at this tournament, look, if you can find an edge, I think this is where it happens because it's much more likely a player, and I don't want to just start randomly throwing names out there, but it's much more likely that a player in that lower $7,000 section, if we just want to use a generic name for that, ends up winning this tournament. Maybe you can find a head-to-head -head matchup of those players, and uh, it's kind of like the the age-old thing to where all the money ends up counting the same with it. Like, if you win $10,000 in the Valero, it's the same as winning $10,000 in the Masters, so... I think from a handicapping perspective and at least trying to put your best foot forward with it, uh, there should be no reason to take your foot off the pedal with this tournament. Absolutely. And I actually want to, I want to get to the draft and I want to get the uh, course breakdown before we do that. I, my understanding, and this is from Ed, who I think is sort of leading team audience, at least with respect to the draft order is that the audience is going to be picking first, that David is going to be picking second. I'm going to be picking third, which of course puts Spencer in that back to back of the snake um, picking fourth. So um, we'll end up setting up the, well, the, the lineup like that. But Spencer, before we actually draft, and by the way, for those of you that are new to the show, at the end of the show, we're going to give out some first round leaders. Of course, our outrights and some of our head to head matchups, those are actually in the Wind Daily Sports Discord. We're putting them in that separate tab. As everybody who's a Wind Daily Sports subscriber knows, we have the golf tab where we're just talking DFS the whole time. But then we have the betting tab too, where guys like myself and Spencer and David, among others, by the way, are putting in their actual bets. So keep that in mind. We'll have our outrights in there. But on this show, we'll have our first round leaders. And for those of you that are new, uh, we happen to hit these at a rate that just doesn't really make that much sense. Joel picked himself and withdrew. That's an inside joke. You got to be a fan of the PGA Draftcast to know that. Stick with us. You'll get all the inside jokes. But Spencer, let's get the course breakdown. So we have TPC San Antonio. It's going to be a little bit over 7,400 yards, par 72 kind of what we keep getting in these tournaments bermuda greens overseeded with bent slash poa last five winners of the tournament jj spawn last year at 13 under jordan speed at 18 under Corey connor's 20 under andrew landry 17 under kevin chapel 12 under it's kind of an eclectic group of players there you have some stars you have some players i mean i guess there was a time maybe in 2017 where kevin chapel was a name that i seem to think was a top 25 30 player in the world kind of where I am with like the Aaron Wise, Cameron Davis thing. Now injuries obviously set him back a far ways with his game. But uh, I don't know if you necessarily have a prototypical answer. Like Connors is not a great putter. Uh, Jordan Spieth is a streaky putter, but he's a great putter when they start going down. And, you know, Landry's a shorter hitter. So you kind of have it all over the map of what to expect there. I think the funniest answer is that this venue is a Greg Norman design. It has the help from Sergio Garcia. 
that's probably one way for the PGA Tour to stick it to Norman. But at the end of the day, it's a quality venue. I, I don't know if this is the perfect time to put it on the schedule. Um, you have undulation with these greens. They are much slower than Augusta. I think that's one of the big deterrents to playing this week. The other deterrent would come down to it's just being way more challenging than it needs to be for a major prep. Uh, we see some of those around the green issues with a 3.3% increase in the impact of scoring over a typical stop on tour with that short game. I think that particular factor missed with a 7% decrease in GIR percentage does help to make this layout, as I said, one of the more demanding tournaments yearly. Uh, for me, at the end of the day, though, it kind of comes down to quality ball striking. I think any single time that you get that stark contrast in the GIR rate that you're getting versus a typical tournament, uh, ball striking kind of starts taking a precedence over what you want to be looking for. Um, you know, it's noteworthy that the par fours, some of them are challenging, mostly between that 410 to 481 range. The par fives are long. They're also challenging themselves. Uh, there's one in particular that's going to be sub 30% in birdie or better percentage. You know, some of those are as low numbers as you can get. And then I think the last few notable things worth noting at least would be there's a 4% increase when you talk about putts that occur from 5 to 15 feet for birdie. Uh, that might not sound like an, a lot, but it was enough for me to add a nice mixture of that combined with the short putting on these slow to average greens. And then just the proximity ranges that we're looking at uh, from zero to 100 yards and then every 25 yard bucket up from there. Uh, all of those ranges are 10% or over an expectation. I don't think you ever get that flat of a distribution. So uh, quality ball striking is kind of like, obviously that was a long-winded answer that I gave, but find me the quality ball strikers who also have some semblance of that short game. Like it's an all-around skill set that you need here. Um, there's different factors that can go into it that we could discuss, but that's kind of the long-winded answer of it's a, it's a tough course at the end of the day. David, I see ahead. David wants to say something to that. Yeah, I just I just want to add one thing which gets missed, and, and it came actually from Sia when you were on the first cut podcast, and you sort of asked about the one putt percentage being such a high ranking there, and um, the the guess was that that was kind of random, and I, I want to speculate that that there is actually a good reason for that, and it relates to what Spence was meant, mentioning about the reduced GIR, about the emphasis around the green game, is that despite these greens being sixty five hundred feet. Um, on average in size, which is which is fairly large, is that basically every green is multi-tiered. So they're either a two-tiered green or, or a triple-tiered green in some situations. So what that actually leads to is that the landing area where these guys are playing their approach shots is extremely small compared to what you may suspect. They're trying to get onto the right ledge in order to um, to be able to give themselves a shot at birdie. So that's why you're going to see that GIR is, um, is lower than usual. It's why you're going to get more around the green. And it's also why that one putt percentage of, if you are on the wrong tier, you need to lag putt very, very well in order to, to um, two putt rather than leaving yourself out there for three putt percentage. So I just want to put that out there because I haven't actually seen that anywhere else um, um, in the, the industry at the moment. Yeah, I, I got to ask the question, and we can pull the board up um, at your leisure, fellas. And it looks like the pick is already in for uh, the uh, team audience. So good for team audience for being on the ball there. Don't forget, you're going to have back-to-back picks the rest of the way. So we're not just going to need one set of nominations, but we're going to need two. But I got to I got to ask the question. I know this is kind of like, you know, almost an arrogant question, or it's rhetorical. So all rhetorical questions are, by their nature, arrogant. But what other show is giving you Spencer's breakdown and David's follow-up? Again, it's a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer it, but I think in your head, you're saying, okay, this is kind of next level stuff. This is, and I'm not saying we're better than other shows. We're different than other shows that I can affirmatively say, but um, you're going to get Spencer's breakdown and, and stuff like David's follow-up or maybe follow-up from Joel or myself that is going to be unique to other shows. And when you see our picks, you're definitely going to see that our picks are unique. And we've all been doing really well this year. David just talked about how well he's been doing. I almost had a takedown two weeks ago. I came in second place out of 2000 and change and told you about the PMA finishing seventh. This is not me just saying, hey, we're so good at this because sometimes we're not, I can only speak for myself. Sometimes I'm very, I'm not very good at this. And sometimes I have weeks where I'm not playing well, but we're trying to give you the best information and we're trying to give you unique lineups and the very nature of the PGA DraftCast 
by its nature, it's going to give you unique lineups because we can't take the players that other people have taken. So just keep that in mind. I think this is a show that you definitely have to have in your repertoire. I know people like to listen to a lot of shows. I think you should. I think that's great. Uh, hopefully this is going to be one of them. We have a lot of people watching. Hopefully you hit the like button. The very first pick from team audience is none other than Siwoo Kim. Um, I'll, I'll, let me comment first, and then, Spencer, I'm going to kick it to you. Obviously, Siwoo is going to be a popular guy this week. For those of you that just haven't like listened to any podcast or kind of studied up on, on this field, Siwoo is going to be popular. The, the percentages I'm looking at, he's kind of inside the top three. It looks like it's Terrell Hatton, um, Ricky Fowler, of course, and then, of course, uh, Siwoo Kim. That's fine. Like I, I don't really mind taking super chalky guys at the top because if you think they have – really great win equity, then then go for it. Um, there's obviously going to be pivots in that range. But I got to tell you, towards the top, other than Hideki, a lot of these guys have some pretty good ownership, somewhere between 15 and 25, 26. So Hideki, I, I'm not going to go in on. So I don't mind the Siwoo pick. I think he has plenty of upside. I'm worried a little bit about his approach play because sometimes it can be hit or miss where everything else is great, including his course history. I will say this, though. It's, it's why I like him as an outright at 22 to 1 versus maybe taking him in the top 20 because I think he's – or like you take him in the top five, whatever. But I think he's really going to flash or he's really going to let a lot of people down. And I think he's the type of golfer that, that that's just what we see from him because sometimes the ball striking isn't what it needs to be. Uh, sorry, that's a really long answer for our first pick. We're not trying to make this show two hours. But, Spencer, real quick, any comments on Siwoo Kim? Uh, Siwoo Kim is number one in my model when I ran yeah. it this week. Like, obviously, there is going to be a lot of ownership. I see 25%. I've heard that people have 30% out there. Um, so that's probably about what you're looking at. I think the one thing I would like to say very quickly to your answer, Sia, which is kind of the reason for why I like Siwoo Kim this weekend, maybe this is one of those spots that I'd be willing to eat the ownership. And and by the way, the course history is immaculate. Like, yeah. We see that, but there's a reason why the course history is immaculate, in my opinion. So uh, he's 47th in my model in proximity over a two-year perspective. That's the expectation in this field. He's the 47th best golfer. For the weight of proximity for this course, he is fourth overall. Uh, that's a 43-spot improvement over his baseline on any generic course. So uh, that is a very encouraging sign for a player that I think is trending in the right direction this year. He's looked very good in tournaments, obviously. I mean, that goes without like saying with some of those results that he's posted, but um, I love the weighted proximity. That's a very big perk that he has for himself. Yeah. And David, I'll go to you. It's your pick. So you can obviously do your pick, but if you want to make a comment on C of the Siwoo Kim pick, uh, let us know. Uh, I, I certainly, I think he's one of the best on the board. Um, I particularly like the around the green stats that if he does, as you said, um, get affected by the wind a bit or miss some of those screens that um, I've got a bit more confidence in him getting up and down. And he had a very, very good week over in Austin, so he hasn't travelled um, very far um, to, to a routine this week either. So um, I think he's a solid pick. Um, as you'll see from the, the draft board, I'm going to take Chris Kirk with my initial pick. Um, I love him within that range. I can see Spencer already um, shrugging, so that's a, that's always a good sign when I can steal um, his first pick as well. Um, again, it's just the all-round game for him. He can he can putt and chip, which is going to be essential, in my opinion, for success this week. His approach metrics are very, very good, um, and his driving accuracy is excellent as well, and I think that gets missed a little bit around um, TPC San Antonio. That's not necessarily... The, the rough is actually the least penal of any course on the PGA Tour all season, so bear that in mind. The problem comes when you do miss big is that you'll end up with double and triple bogeys very very quickly around here so having a modicum of um, driving accuracy is important to me this week um we've seen chris kirk um overcome that hurdle and, and get his first win um recently as well so um vibes are going to be good and he's got two top tens here in 2021 and 2018 as well yeah i mean one one last thing on him the weighted t degree numbers over the last 24 rounds he's second in this field i mean he's just he's one of those guys that's not super sexy but now it is right because we've seen him actually win like that that upside that we always would have questioned like let's say last year at this time when we were doing the valero breakdown which for the record david byleski had jj spawn as an outright uh for the valero last year and uh if memory serves he's the defending champion here so great stuff as usual from david again his picks will be in the wind daily sports discord but listen I, I like both of these picks and it sucks for spencer that he's fourth here because i know he probably likes a lot of these picks too i can tell you that I started a lineup, like my, one of my lineups, with Siwoo Kim, Chris Kirk, and the guy I'm going to pick, which is Matt Kuchar. And that still leaves you 72-67. 
which means you know you, you you go down in that low 7k range or maybe the high 6k range and it still leaves you room to get like a mid 7k golfer you could still really try to go into that upper 7k or flat 8k range but i don't mind starting a lineup with siwoo as my captain as as my top dog so to speak and i think you could really start in the 9k lineup and be just fine this week and also depending on how you construct your lineup i don't think you need to spend all your money don't force a don't force, and I'm not going to say a name, but don't force like a, a random 10K guy because you're like, well, I have this much money left. I, 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 I guess I just got to gotta go up here and play him. That, that's not how this tournament is going to work. So I'll go with Matt Kuchar. I mean, he's similar find to Chris Kirk. Obviously, the numbers aren't as good, but I, I think the game is coming on. The history here is good. The around the green game play and just the knowledge of this course. I think Matt Kuchar is a very sort of precise um, strategist, you know, like some somebody that I would think of as like a poor man's, Jordan Spieth when he has to be just can can a very poor man's by the way but I just think he's a guy that can navigate this course pretty well not a sexy pick I'm not super psyched about it I would have taken Siwoo or Chris Kirk ahead of him but here's this is where we are so now Spencer you've got back-to-back picks I'd love to know if all three of these guys were interesting to you or if you were going to pick them um yeah I mean certainly they're all they're all in play I I think when you look at this tournament and and I don't want to give away too many answers to it but there were one, two, three, four, five. There's essentially five guys, $9,000 and up, that showed as a positive value compared to their price. Uh, all three of those players were on that short list that I would be considering. Uh, I'm going to take a very unique approach to this, and this wasn't exactly how I was anticipating starting. So I think if you were to tell me if I had the number one pick, I probably would have taken Siwoo Kim. Uh, that's likely where I was going to go there. So now that he's off the board and uh, the second pick for me probably would have been Chris Kirk. It would have been nice to plug those two guys together. Um, With the $9,000 range a little bit watered down for what I think is the way I want to go, I'm going to go to the very top. I'm going to take Terrell Hatton. I'm going to hope that the hand is okay with him. Um, I mean, look, if you watch what he's done recently, uh, 24 consecutive rounds of shooting par or better. He has made 12 consecutive cuts. I think he's bringing really good form into this week. I'm going to throw away whatever that was at the match play here. Uh, I don't necessarily want to use that for anything. I didn't like him for that tournament myself personally yeah. for that. So, I mean, I'm not saying that I thought he was going to lose every single match. Like that was a bit of a shock, but uh, things just went wrong for him. We know he's hot headed when things go in the wrong direction. Anything's possible, but inside the top five of my model, when we're looking at weighted scoring for this course, he's number one in my model over to your perspective in strokes gain total. And then he's number one in my model putting on slow greens. And uh, you kind of anticipate that when you're looking at a putting kind of a background of Hatton to begin with, but uh, it's nice to see that he doesn't get worse on slow greens. Yeah. And I was actually, it was interesting to see his ownership as, as high as it was, not because he's not deserving of it, I agree with that. But, but I actually thought the hand injury which, uh, by the way, I, I'm probably mischaracterizing by even suggesting that it's an injury. But I just thought that would scare some people off, at least early, and that people would jump on. And, and my point is, is that we wouldn't see this ownership number until tomorrow, for example. And obviously, Sicily Kid, otherwise known as Stephen Flaherty, he'll have the ownership article up at Windalexports.com. But in, 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 we know that's very precise. I'm curious to see where that Terrell Hatton number creeps. It'll probably stay kind of where it is, I think, in that 25, 26 um, percentage, but you got Hatton. So Spencer, who's next? I'm going to go with another popular choice. Like obviously at some point I'm going to have to differentiate. And I agree with everything that you just said, Sia. When I built this on Monday, Hatton was like 13%. And now I see him more in the 20% range. So, uh, he's picked up some steam. I don't know if that's going to continue. You never know with these things. You do get these ups and downs with it, but I'm going to go to 7,600 and I'm going to take Nick Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot that my model likes about him. Obviously, one of the things would not be the ownership that we're talking about here. But inside the top 10 of my model, when I look at weighted strokes gain total, he's a great win player that ranks inside the top 20 for me. And kind of just every single way that I ran it, like my numbers liked it for the most part when I got rid of the total driving from him. Uh, The weighted proximity increased by 47 spots from the numbers that I'm anticipating. I ended up taking a head-to-head wager. I'll give it out on this show. I took Nick Taylor minus 110 over Adam Shank. Um, I don't know if that influences the draft at all with Shank, or I don't know what everybody's thoughts were on him, but uh, I think the price tag on Taylor is way too cheap for a golfer for me that 
has like legitimate top 15 win equity in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it over the last handful of tournaments. We've seen a second-place finish. We've seen a 10th-place finish. We've seen a couple of missed cuts, but a lot of made cuts inside the top 35, aside from those two top 10. So Nick Taylor makes sense. It's funny, David. I, I want to get your comments on Nick Taylor before I, I make my pick, because when you look at the metrics, it's really not that impressive, and it's kind of consistent with, okay, yeah, that looks like it might be Nick Taylor. That makes sense. But then again, we're seeing these high, these high finishes. Is there a way to reconcile – the, the idea, whether it's Nick Taylor or in general, the idea that the metrics aren't necessarily matching up to what we're seeing with the, some of these finishing positions. I think that he's elevated his game, to be honest, over the last kind of three months. We saw that particularly at the Phoenix Open when he actually gave John Rahm like a very, very good, um, run, sorry, um, Scott Sheffield, a very good run for his money. Um, you know, second place there was was incredibly impressive, and he played very well at the match play. Like, I mean, he pushed everybody in his group right to the end. Like, he didn't really do all that much wrong. His approach play, if you you look at it, either data golf or Rick Run Good, Fantasy National, wherever you're you're getting your strokes gain data, has really improved in the last um, the last three months. Like, I've seen some good uptick in that. I mean, he's always been great around the green. I, I have him as one of the best, um, the best values in that range, particularly um, within that seven thousand range. So I think he's a he's a savvy pick. Um, very, very, very happy um, to take him there. I feel so, like I've also made amends for calling him the worst player in the tournament last week. So Nick Taylor and I were on an even playing field. <laughs> oh, that's field right. Yeah. I had to Venmo you twenty five <laughs> bucks because I lost a bet the the Nick Taylor Brian Harmon bet. But see, you saw my point then, at least Spencer. Like Nick Taylor's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he was just up against the juggernaut and Brian Harmon, but sure, I mean, Nick Taylor's fine. Um, so I, I see Ed in here, and I'm going to make my pick, and we're going to move on to um, to David's pick uh, uh, post-haste. But somebody named Joe Weaver at, S, at SJ Wolves, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this on my Twitter, but I, I retweeted or I quote tweeted it. He, he tweeted under one of the, the first cut shows we did on Monday, so I quote tweeted it, and he says, I'm just going to read it really quick says, I've got signs for you. Taylor Moore won two weeks ago when Taylor Swift opened her tour. We're in Texas this week. Guess who else is in Texas this weekend? One of the Taylors has to win. She has she has a lit up golf club during her show, which he has he provides a picture for. This cannot fail. There are four Taylors. There are four Taylors in this tournament. I feel like what he is saying is we have to bet all the Taylors and Spencer off to a good start with Nick Taylor Swift. All right, I'm going to be really quick here. This is a popular guy. He's in the low 7K range. He's really going to help my lineup from a just being able to kind of do whatever I want. I've been on this guy for a while. We've talked about him on this show quite a bit. The, the T to green numbers, yep, there you go. The T to green numbers are great. He's, he's an accurate ball striker. His finishing positions have been good. He's a guy that is really slowly starting to emerge. And honestly, given the talent level of this field, I'm not saying he's mispriced necessarily, but we could easily see him at 7,700, 7,600. We'd be like, okay, I guess that kind of makes sense for Ben Martin. And for the record, last week at Corrales, he was pretty good too, from what I recall. So um, he's he's going to be popular. He's probably going to be maybe 10% or more, which in the low 7K range, that is a recipe for disaster. But because I've been on this guy so much, I really wanted to claim him. I almost made him my first pick, but I really wanted one of those 9K guys that I like. So I got away with it. Give me Ben Martin. David, it's on you. Any comments on Ben Martin while you're at it? Um, I would say that he is absolutely underpriced um, in terms of his DraftKing price versus his odds. He's 49th in DraftKings pricing, but he's um, 36th within um, odds markets, and his odds have shortened throughout the week as well. So he's definitely undervalued. I, I do think it's a mispricing. He could be um, the high 7K range is kind of where I expected to see him, given the form he's coming in with, um, given the metrics that he brings here. So I think that's... Uh, um, that's a very, very savvy pick. Can I just address, I'm not in the basement of a church and I'm not drinking the <laughs> communion water. I'm, I'm yet to become a reference, but the chat is um, giving me a very, very hard time about uh, having a new water bottle and losing the uh, the munition case that I was previously using to uh, to drink water from. So um, thank you, um, Backline Bet, Zach, Ed, Dave, Everybody who's uh, giving me a very, very hard time today, you're, you're always very entertaining. Um, I am going to stick around the top of the board here and take a player that I think that um, is sneaky, sneakily like lower owned than I expected he would be, which is Davis Riley. 
Um, he looks to me at the moment on my predictions to be one of the lowest owns within that 9k range, kind of tied up with him and Ryan Fox are both sitting around 15% for me and everyone else is um, is 18% or higher. Um, I really like what Davis Riley's been doing in terms of turning the approach play back around um, of late. 19th last time at the, the Valspar and wasn't a complete disappointment at the, the match play. I mean, the match play is such a random event as well, so if a player doesn't make it out of his group, like kind of whatever. Um, eighth at Bayhill recently as well, another elevated event. I think that Davis Riley's playing some very, very good golf. We know that he's got um, a relationship with Sam Burns as well, who won last week um, and he went head to head with at the Valspar. Um, last year in 2022 so um you know some good vibes obviously coming in with um with sam burns um getting the, the victory last week as well seems like a, a good spot for for riley um in my in my mind yeah it's funny because spencer i want to kick it to you before we get the two audience picks it looks like uh Hoygaard is going to be one of the two picks for sure I, i'm going to wait for the audience to confirm that sam Ryder is the other one but or maybe it's ben griffin i don't know jerry might uh, have some issue with that but um, Davis Riley, I just, Spencer, I can't get, I can't come around on him. I, I'm just not a Davis Riley guy. I look at the metrics. I'm not super impressed. I am impressed with David's argument, but for me, it's a no on Davis Riley. I'm curious where you stand. It will be a no for me also on Davis Riley. And it, it really comes down to, I don't trust his short game here. Uh, and that's in any capacity of how you want to say that, whether that's out of the sand or around the green, I know he's trending in the right direction right now. Um, I agree with David's point that for as many people that I've seen on him, I was surprised that the ownership wasn't higher than what it was. Uh, with that being said, though, he was one of the first guys that I probably eliminated from my player pool this week. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not going to play him, but I mean, he is trending in the right direction. And it does look like Sam Ryder is the second guy. Ivan, thanks for confirming that. But I scrolled up. I did see that. Uh, Byron from Back Nine Bets, of course, Model Maniac, otherwise known as, and uh, who was it? Zach Jeffers, uh, nominated writer. Um, by the way, I stopped in on Byron's show earlier today. Uh, he does his show right before our show, by the way. I think it's like, maybe it starts at seven. Maybe you can confirm that for us, Byron, but a uh, great show. Even if you don't have the full hour, you got to drop in on that show. Um, check out all the stuff he has up. It's It's really, really good content. I know he works with you, Spencer, over at Rotoballer a little bit too, but you can catch his free show just like you can catch this free show on the Windaily YouTube. Uh, really good stuff. Always stop by there on Tuesday early evening. Hit the like button. Say hi in the chat and so that he knows you're there. And then, and then you wait for this show, which Byron comes to. So you get the whole crew here, usually including Joel and including some big guests. And, of course, we're going to have a big guest next week for the Masters. Uh, all right, David, we've got Sam Ryder and Hoygaard off the board. Um, real quick, though. Uh, let me ask you before you make your pick on Hoygaard. I imagine you like him this week. I imagine you think he's a bit mispriced. Um, quick comment on him and quick comment on Sam Ryder before you make your pick. I perhaps have a little bit of concern about um, Hoygaard's around the green game. That would be my question mark. The, the guy's undeniably talented. The distance off the tee is incredibly impressive. Second place last week, you know, and he... he he, he will be on a, on the PGA Tour eventually. Like, I mean, the, the talent of this guy, he's 22 as well, um, identical twin to, to Rasmus. Um, I just, I, I have some concern about around the green grain and the accuracy and whether this is the best course fit for him. He doesn't really strike me as a scrambler. He more probably likes a course where he can get to 20 under. Like, I mean, I'm thinking like um, for Dante Vallarta, you know, Mexico Open would be like an ideal course. For, for Nikolai Hogard and same same for last week I had him a lot in DFS um, for Punta Cana where it's really a driver's paradise and um, you know that played through um, quite well with the second place last week. Sam Ryder I'm a little bit more interested in I think I've got others in that range that I am going to prefer including my next pick which is Brendan Todd. Um, Brendan Todd is very very out, um, underpriced in DFS. If we're looking at markets I've seen him as low as 40 to 1 but he is priced at a very lowly um, in that 7,000 um, range. And I, I just love the value that I'm getting from him there. He's fourth for um, driving, uh, sorry, for, for distance from um, center of fairway percentage. So um, he, when he misses the fairway, he's not going to miss big for you. 
He's um, turning in the, in the right direction and he's got very, very good form here. Excellent around the green game as well. So like great, great putting, great chipping. 27th of the players, I think that gets missed a little bit <laughs> last time out. And um, yeah, eighth, eighth last time at the Texas Open. So he is fantastic value for me um, where he is priced at um, 7,900. Uh, I like that. You know, Brendan Todd hasn't gotten a lot of talk, I've noticed, this week, and he certainly seems to make sense. So that's not somebody I, I had considered yet, but it's it's somebody I'm going to have to take a second look at because I, I do like that play. So speaking of plays that I like, so I'm considering doing something that I didn't expect to do, and, and I'm, I'm worried about what it's going to do to my salary, what I'm going to have left. So I'm kind of debating, but you know what? I'm, I'm just going to deal with it and just see what happens. I think this is really going to crush my salary, but I'm going to go with Ricky Fowler. It's not somebody I plan on playing a lot this week, but because a lot of my guys have been taken in that 9K range that I kind of wanted to kick my team off with, I think I'm willing to take Ricky here. And I'm just noticing, I didn't realize that was going to leave me 7,800. That's way more than I anticipated. And again, that's the Ben Martin factor kind of helping me out. But you know, I don't need to talk too much about Ricky. Obviously, the game is trending up. I'm, I'm not really considering one way or the other whether or not the pressure is going to be on to qualify for the masters. Like that's just not something that like enters my mind when I pick Ricky Fowler. I just think when I look at him and I look at the metrics, he is very much viable to top five, this thing, certainly viable to win this thing. And so it's just, it, it's an easy call for me because of how this board has broken. So I'm happy to take Ricky Fowler here at 10,200 in spite of the fact that he is going to be chalky. Believe me, I'll, I'll have some non chalk uh, coming up. Um, Spencer, you got back-to-back picks here. You got Terrell Hatton, you got Nick Taylor. Who are the next two guys? I'm going to make a little bit of a surprising pick here. So, um, I don't know if I necessarily need to take this player this early. I could probably have waited to go this route, but I do have concerns with all the golfers that have been taken from Ben Griffin and up at this point. So, uh, I'm going to try to lock in somebody that I would like to have and, I'm going to take Alex Norin at 8,800. And the answer I'm going to give to Norin is this. 8,800, probably for the form that he's bringing to the table, too expensive. I understand that. But when you're able to create leverage on a golfer because they're overpriced, and then you have the positive trajectory in my model that does believe he can make a run at this tournament, it's going to be your boomer bust sort of outcome that comes into play with it. But with as chalky as I've gone to start this build, I think he is the perfect person that differentiates some of that for me and uh, gives me a name that I believe has top 20 win equity. I have him, I bet him at 46 to one this week and I don't know exactly what to expect. Obviously there's the downside of what he's been producing recently, but look, there's a lot to like from a statistical perspective. perspective. He's second in my model at TPC properties over the last two years. He's a great win player. We know that about his game. I'm going to hope that the best comes out of him this week. Yeah, and I know I know you got another pick, but I know the audience was just discussing Alex Noren as well. Uh, before you make your pick, your pick, David, a yes or no on Alex Noren? Definitely. Okay. Wow, that was emphatic. Um, I hadn't. I was undecided on Noren. He's probably going to be left out for me. I totally get the the logic there, and the fact that both of you are on him um, speaks volumes to me. Okay, who's after Alex Noren, Spencer? So I think that the safest way for me to play this at this point is probably to go cheaper rather than going with the one player that I kind of want in this spot. And if he gets taken, I'll let everybody know if they, that they took him from me. Uh, but I'm going to take Joseph Bramlett at 7,100. feel like this Sia is right up your alley, a ball striker who cannot putt. Um, I don't know what to expect of that. He's one of the worst putters in my model when you look at any way you want to run it. But great weighted score. The weighted proximity looks great. I'm just hoping that we can get some semblance of a putter this week for him. And look, like Corey Connors has won this tournament in the past. You can't tell me that Bramlett can't be break even with the putter and, you know, all of a sudden give you a top 20 finish. And if he does a little bit better than that, then he makes a run at this thing. Yeah, all I can tell you about guys like Joseph Bramlett and Robbie Shelton, who, who guys that I like and that are just very underappreciated ball strikers, is I'll get them through the cut. And I hit Bramlett as a first-round leader, tied for first-round leader just like uh, four or five tournaments ago. But I'll get them through the cut, and then their putter's just such a disaster <laughs> on Saturday and Sunday. Now, to your point, 
Corey Connors won this tournament. He's not a good putter. And any putter can be good. It's possible for three to four rounds. It's certainly possible. But, man, I, I've just gotten so frustra- frustrated with Team No Putt with guys like Joseph Bramlett that I've tended to stay away from them. But I do like the upside of Bramlett. I don't mind him at all. All right, my pick is going to be – you want narratives. I, I just gave you one with Ricky Fowler and the Masters. That's what people want to talk about. How about another narrative? How about I take a guy who, for the record, I've also – talked about on this show several weeks ago and actually had him as 180 to one shot two weeks ago. And he was in the top five on a Sunday and then just kind of faded away. The narrative is, well, you don't play guys who just won. Well, I'm going to do that because I think Matt Wallace is a great pick. And I think he has really caught fire. I, I love where the game is at in general. We know he's a good around the green player. We know David loves Matt Wallace and is really mad about this pick uh, poker skills coming through there. But yeah, I just like Matt Wallace. So the weighted T to green stuff, uh, I'm a big fan of. He won last week. He was He's top 15 weighted T to green over the last 24 rounds. Great around the green, like I said. And third here in 2021. To me, he checks all the boxes. And I'm, again, the, the win last week, if anything, I think that's going to help him because I think he's going to come to this soft field and be like, I think I can win again. It'd be different if he was going like right to the Masters, which I don't believe he's actually qualified for, or like a tournament that was a designated event, then he might be oh, man, I, I can't win this one. I think he thinks he can win this one. And 8,500, I'd love to have him on my team. David, you, you hate that, right? I totally hate that. That was my next pick. So, uh, yeah, he he can totally win this thing. And I, I think Matt Willis is just – he was such an incredibly talented golfer on the DP World Tour and then came across the PGA Tour and struggled a little bit since with the, the step up. And we've seen that multiple times with DP World Tour players, right? Like Aaron Rye comes to mind who won like three times in his first two years on the DP World Tour, came across the PGA, and he probably would have won 10 DP World Tour events by this point, but um, struggled with that step up. And he's, he's finally got across that barrier, but his game is trending for like quite some time before that, like notably – seventh at the Valspar the week prior so all the indications were very good I think his game actually probably suits um suits this course at TPC San Antonio more than it did at Corrales and he's just won that tournament so um why not go with the hot hand go with last week's winner um no brainer for me I would have gone there too love it and uh Spencer before we get to David's pick yes or no on Matt Wallace I am fine with it I don't have a problem with him Gotcha. Okay, so lukewarm on Matt Wallace then for Spencer. All right, David, it's your pick. You just picked Brendan Todd. Who's next? Yeah, I'm scrambling a little bit to get my my next guy in because, as I said, I was uh, literally just about to go where um, where Sina Shard did. So I think I'm going to go to Old Faithful, um, friend of the friend of the show, Ryan Fox, nine thousand. Um, I'm quite happy to spend up on the salary here. I'm going to have a few flies later on. Um, Ryan Fox, one of the most talented golfers in this field, in my opinion, still um, a little bit underpriced at 9,000. He's got great form coming in. His approach play is excellent. Um, we've seen that he's managed to make that step up very, very quickly to the PGA Tour 14th at the um, Arnold Palmer, for example, which which I'll add Arnold Palmer kind of similar to here in that you, you don't want to have that big mess, mess off the tee. Like here, it's kind of like cactuses and shrubs and desert area. That's the trouble. And at the, the Bay Hill course, it's it's the water that, that becomes the issue. And he managed to finish 14th there. So um, he's this rare, rare breed of like extreme di- driving distance, but like great touch around the greens, excellent approach play. Currently ranked 36 in the world. Um, there's, there's a lot to like with him. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Ryan Fox. Yes or no, Spencer on Ryan Fox. And by the way, the audience um, has already started to nominate, so that's that's good, but you can nominate now. So yes or no on Ryan Fox, Spencer? Yes, I like Ryan Fox. I, You know, it's a completely different player. I'm not trying to make this comparison here, so I just want to preface it with that. But Fox does have that distance. I, I don't think distance is the only way. I know it's a long course. I think you can win this with accuracy or with distance, but – it's a unique skill set to take on with this course. And it's kind of my similar thought process that I had with Joseph Bramlett to where if you can tell me a guy can add some distance here. Uh, if nothing else, we're just talking distance. Um, it's an intriguing play for Fox. And obviously Fox is a much better golfer if you're trying to compare apples to oranges to that. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, the audience, I think, is already ready. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, audience. We don't want another gate on our hands. But it appears that Thomas Dietrich has been nominated. Thank you, Ivan 
and let's see, Jimmy Wagner and Benny on from Ed and Byron uh, has been nominated as well. So it looks like those are the two picks. Um, I think that's right. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'll tell you. So Spencer, I'm going to kick this right back to you and David, it's going to be your pick next. Neither of these guys are in my pool. Um, are, are these guys you would be willing to play in DFS or no? I tend to think Ben on is probably a better cash game play than anything else. That's kind of like my mentality with him. Usually when there's ownership around him, I prefer to just play him for cash. I don't, he never quite gives you the upside that you hope to see. Now, Dietrich's the intriguing one for me because a very similar answer could be given there. Now, I know he came eighth last week at the Corrales. Uh, there's a lot of finishes outside of that that are like 24th to 40th place. I haven't made a decision yet on Dietrich. I don't know what to necessarily think. My model loves him from a statistical perspective, but it also loves him from a statistical perspective every week. And I tend to always find myself disappointed. And it's not like this go around we get him cheap. Like it's one thing when we're taking him at 7,200. It's another one when it's 8,400. I'm indifferent in this situation right now, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to play him. It's kind of one of those fringe players for me. Fair enough. And David, it's your pick. If you want to comment on either Ben on or Dietrich, go ahead. But then of course, let's make your fifth pick. Uh, I think Dietrich is a great safe play again. I just, I always wonder about his upside. I mean, to, to share that last week, I mean, on the, the European tour, we had Nick Barkham and my selections um, win at 110 to one. And we had contenders at the other two tournaments as well. And I was just dreaming of uh, a um, dream triple win with um, Dietrich being one of them at the um, the Punta Cana and understandably um, faded as per usual in the fourth round. Like, I mean, he just has such a trouble finishing tournaments off. Like, and we just, it's like the, the Will Zalatoris of the DP World Tour for Dietrich, you know, just like constantly in the top 10, but never ever um, has managed to get across that line. And so that's my question with Dietrich would be, I think he's like a great safe play in that like if he's in the top 20, no surprises there for me. I just really question whether he can actually um, get the get the game together on the, the final day to, to get the win. I, I'm quite intrigued by Benny Arna. I think that, that he's um, got some potential here. So um, for my next selection, I'm going to go with another player I'm hot on this week, Nick Hardy, um, who is trending well in terms of his ball striking. He's a strong driver of the golf ball. Um, last week, I think that his his finishing position of 13th should also be read in the context of the fact he opened with a 73. So bear in mind, this was a course that was playing very, very far under par. Um, he managed to pull it back with um, rounds of 69, 67, 67 to finish out the tournament. So he did find something for those last three rounds. Um, I just think Nick Hardy's a better golfer than they've got him priced here. Um, his odds have dropped quite a bit in the market as well. So there's some pretty sharp money coming his direction. Um, but his DFS pricing is um, obviously set in stone. So I'll take advantage of that then. Interesting. Yeah, Nick Hardy was a guy I had my eye on. You know, you all remember last summer, he, he seemed like a guy that was about to pop and he just hasn't done it yet. So you might be early on Nick Hardy. I totally get it. I am going to go very early on somebody. And I think he was mentioned earlier in the show by Spencer. Actually, he was. Uh, I told you I'm not going to just be taking all chalk. I have a couple chalky guys in there. I'm going to go with a guy that's probably going to be 3% or less. He'll be one of the more owned guys in the 6K range, but but by more owned, I mean like 2 to 3%. It's going to be Kevin Chappell. So Kevin – oh, sorry, David. Sorry about that, buddy. Uh, so Kevin, uh, first of all, has really good course history here, but more importantly, the game is starting to come back for Kevin Chappell. Piece by piece, we're seeing the ball striking a little bit better. We're seeing the short game a little bit better. And by the way – Let's look at his finishing positions as of late. At Corrales last week, T16. Well, that's pretty good. Puerto Rico Open, T15. The week before that, or maybe it was two weeks before that, the Honda Classic, T29. Inside the top 30 at the Honda Classic. And then he missed the cut at the 18T uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am, but he didn't have a bad tournament. He lost a little off the tee, gained on approach, gained around the green, and lost a little bit with the putter. I'm not looking at it, but he must have missed it by one or two strokes. So Kevin Chappell's really rounding into form, and he's 6,700. In this field, 
Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take that. He should probably be like 72, 7,300. And even there, I think he's at least a moderate value with a little bit of upside, especially when you consider his course history. So, Spencer, it's your pick, but I got to hear from David because I see him doing the Spencer. With every time every time I pick, I see him doing the Spencer, kind of squirming a little bit. You hate that I took him, don't you? I do. You've, you've stolen Matt Walls from me and they've stolen Kevin Chappell to round in my lineup. So, um, in the words of Spencer, this draft and team is ruined for all time. Um, really, really like Kevin Chappell. Obviously, he has one here previously. I'll just note that his finishing rounds have been very very good of late and that's what catches my eye with him is that when he's making cuts his round three and round four scoring average has been extremely good like i mean we're talking like in the top five of the entire pga tour um and he he did the same last week he finished with a four under which was the eighth best round um in the final round so he's um he's willing to go low over the weekend and really chase a victory i think he's looking for that rebound um, i will be having words with him later <laughs> and, right now actually as it turns and, out yeah i just i i, I really like the, the chapel play that would be how i would have liked to have round out this um this lineup but got lots of options in that 6k i actually think the 6k is um, quite intriguing for me this week bear in mind i just just carry on with this briefly um that the average winning price here has been um 150 um for six out of the 11 um winners here of late and there was a seventh which is martin lead at 100 to one so it's it's a triple figure um tournament uh, in general like it's pretty volatile it's pretty random um i'm quite happy leaving a lot of money on the table and i'm quite happy diving into that 6k range like often and picking up some guys with um decent upside over which keeping chapel is one funny you should mention 150 to one because for those of you that came late to the show David, you picked JJ Spawn last year at Valero, and what were yeah. his odds to win again? It was 151. Oh wow, yeah. that's amazing. Okay, Spencer, you got two picks to go. Um, you got a nice little team. How are you going to round it out? I'll keep this very short. Um, so I'm going to take Andrew Putnam at 7800. I do worry about the weighted proximity numbers that I have for him, but. Eighth in my model in weighted GIR percentage. I'm hoping that that can help alleviate some of the problems there. We know the off the tee stuff with him is always more of a concern, but I don't know. I mean, at this track, I think we can get around it a little bit still. Uh, 13th in my model in weighted putting from 5 to 15 feet. That's not going to come as a shock. He's a great putter at the end of the day. But it, it's really that like overall bogey avoidance, the scrambling, the sand save percentage. It's all those back-end factors like... He's one of those, I know I said I was going to keep this short, by the way, and this has already gone on longer than I was hoping for, but there's so many high-end numbers that I have for him that I'm willing to take a shot with him. I don't think the ownership is all that egregious. And then for my final play, like to me, it's either Alex Smalley or Robbie Shelton. I think those are the two guys that I would be most intrigued with. I'm going to go with the player that I seem to go with every single time. I'm going to take Alex Smalley, and I'm going to hope that his ball-striking acumen at some point wins one of these tournaments. Yeah, I'll tell you, Smalley really popped in in the first model that I ran, and usually the first model is the only model that I run um, because I don't really refer to it too much towards the end of my research. But Smalley was way up there, and I was like, man, am I, am I going to have to play Smalley this week? And I, I just might because he really popped in, in a lot of important ways. So. Interesting pick there. Uh, David, real quick, yes or no on Putnam, yes or no on Smalley? Uh, yes on Putnam, indifferent on Smalley. Okay. So I have 8,300 left, and I see a lot of guys I can take. One guy that led me to a near outright two weeks ago, and one guy that is just a ball-striking phenom, but he just simply can't putt. And the way I've constructed my lineup, I have tried to avoid the really poor putters. And I'm not going to say, okay, well, five out of six ain't bad. I'm just going to be somewhat consistent with that. So instead of taking – I'll table talk here. Um, I don't know if anybody's going to draft him. Instead of taking Aaron Rye, who the ball striking should be absolutely phenomenal, but something is going on with the putter with him. It's just kind of horrific. I'm going to go with a guy that the ball striking numbers never look good, but somehow his finishing positions look really good, and it's Adam Shank. Um, a guy with that has the requisite short game to succeed here, even if he's not good off the tee and not good on approach. I'm just taking the gamble that the short game with him is going to pay off yet again. We know he's a winner, not literally, but we know he can 
close. He was very, very close to winning. Really unfortunate not to win um, that tournament where he finished in second. And prior to that, he had a missed cut, a 31st, 42nd, 50th, 20th. He's making cuts in in good fields at that. So um, I'll go ahead and round out my lineup with Adam Shank. Uh, I really like how this one turned out. So um, I'm happy with it overall. Dave, before you give me your pick, and you won't offend me, Adam Shank, yes or no? Uh, yes, I think he's a good pick. I like some of his correlating form at the Phoenix Open and at the Shriners. I think those are those are a couple of courses that you can look at towards um, TPC Antonio, and he's um, finished his seventh here before. And obviously, he's in, in decent form because he was second at the Vals Bar, which wasn't the worst um, field that we're going to see all year by any means. Um, and yeah, look, I. I put Schenk in the, the same kind of bracket as um, the argument I've made recently for Taylor Montgomery. It's like, yes, he does a lot of it with the short game, but it's consistent and, and it's over such a long period of time that it's kind of like a Taylor Montgomery, Denny McCarthy situation where like he's just a very good partner and he's a good chipper and that's a good thing around this course. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dave, you got one more pick. What's it going to be? Yeah, so I'll take Kevin Chappell um, in with my final pick, please. Yeah, that's not going to work because okay. I've got Kevin Chappell. That didn't work then. Um, well, in that case, I will go to uh, Texas College Alumni. There's very, very good links. Uh, oh, wait, this is the third oldest tour uh, tournament on the PGA Tour, just in case you guys didn't realize that. It's one of the, the historic original um, tournaments oh. on the tour, the Texas Open. And there's very, very strong links to Texas golfers um, playing well around here. And that, that goes beyond just... You know the the obvious ones um, to guys like Steve Baldwich who who um, managed to win here as well. So for them, this is a very, very important tournament. I'm going to take a player who actually had a sterling college career, um, won the Ben Hogan Award in 2018, has perhaps struggled a little bit um, since moving up into the the professional ranks, but I see little things for me that, that are turning them into form, and that's um, Doug Gim, the Gim wow. Rico. Where has up. he been? I, I met, you know, I mentioned him on the first cut. Like, he's a guy that just faded away, and we expected him to start making, like, some sort of, you know, upward move, and it just never happened. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but carry on on Doug Gim. Yeah, I mean, he was, was former world number one, right? Um, so for an, as an amateur, um, yeah, number one amateur ranked golfer in the world. Um, Texas College alumni had um, a stunning, stunning amateur career, made the jump. And I think that, you know, obviously you can make all the excuses in the world for him of, um, you know, whether COVID affected that jump up to the professional ranks or um, anything of the like. But he's a resident of Las Vegas. He actually rooms with um, Mav McNeely. Um, member at TPC Summerlin, so he's got a lot of experience on the diesel courses. Um, and you know, this this for him, for one of one of a better word, is his home course of the way. Um, being a alma mater from um, from University of Texas, so look, there's um, 16th last week at the Punta Cana and 27th at the Valspar. So looks like the form's improving a little bit. His driving actually is peaking a little bit as well. Um, it's going to be, as always, with the Gim Reaper, it's the putter. It's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really interesting selection. I de definitely think there's some upside there. Has team audience nominated and confirmed? No, we have a couple nominations here. I see Ben Griffin, Akshay Batia has been nominated. Do we have seconds for either of those two guys? Ben Griffin's an interesting one. Oh, he, he, Brent says we got froze out of the uh, – oh, I don't know what that means. But looks like Ben Griffin is being nominated by Brent Harris and Byron. So I think it's Ben Griffin is their is their final guy, and he fits just nicely in there. So they have a clean $0 left. Ben Griffin's such an interesting case. And I'm going to make it well, – we're going to go to first-round leaders in one second, but I'm going to make a case for a guy that has a similar sort of track as Ben Griffin. And what I mean by that is – He's doing it all with short game as of the last four tournaments or so. But we've seen him ball strike it before. It's just lately his, the ball striking has been really bad. So I think it's kind of a good mix for Ben Griffin in DFS in particular, where he could crash and burn because the ball striking simply isn't there. But if he can find his ball striking and, and he, he remains like the putter and the, and the around the green game guy that he is, I mean, he definitely has a ton of upside. So before we take this board down and we go to our first round leaders, um, Spencer, I'll start with you, and David, I'll close with you. Ben Griffin, yes or no? 
I guess yes, I begrudgingly say yes. I don't know what his upside is. I kind of give the same answer that David talked about with Dietrich with it, but my model loves him, and that's good enough for me to keep playing him until something changes. David? Yes, for me as well. Yep. Yeah. I think it's going to end up being a no for me. I think if he was super low owned, I'd, I'd consider, but I do like the upside of Ben Griffin. So I'm absolutely, I'm okay with the place, particularly in DFS or maybe in the outright market, top five, top 10, that type of thing. All right, let's get to our first round leaders. We can pull this board down and we're back. Uh, let's give it a shot with David first. David, you got any first round leaders for us? Yeah, I've got a few that I'd like to give out. Um, so I've got Dylan Fratelli, another um, University of Texas guy going up in the morning at 100 to 1. I'll point out that he was eighth last year and he's been in dreadful form. Um, I've got Kevin Chappell at 100 to 1 again going off in the morning. So um, preferring those lighter wins in the morning there as well. The other one is I just want to check the tea time on... And while you're checking that, David, the it does appear that as of right now, and we'll confirm in the in our Discord tomorrow night that there might be a slight advantage right now to Thursday a.m. Friday p.m. Right? Yes. Yep. I'm seeing I'm seeing a decent Thursday a.m. Friday p.m. at the moment. But bear in mind, it looks pretty changeable. There are some thunderstorms in the area potentially on Thursday afternoon, and that could just end up flipping the whole thing completely around. So it's worth bearing that in mind um, as well. The other guy, sorry, was um, Nicardi at sixty-six to one, also going off in the morning. Okay. All right. So Spencer, that, those were David's first round leader picks. What do you got? I have. Five. So I have Nick Taylor at 65 to 1, Andrew Putnam 70 to 1, Joseph Bramlett 95 to 1, Mark Hubbard 130 to 1, and then Alex Smalley 80 to 1. I'm going to keep doing that every single week until it hits at some point. Well, Smalley was almost one of my first round leaders. I got to be honest. I, I like this is maybe the first time this has ever happened. So I'm just going to admit it. I usually know like every single name that's in the tournament. It didn't even occur to me that Mark Hubbard was in this tournament. Where is he on the DraftKings board? I just didn't see him for so. Oh, I see him, 6,900. By the way, um, Pearson Cootie is interesting. I know Stephen Pilardi was in the chat mentioning him. Um, I think Kazuki uh, Higa is interesting as well. Um, if you're speculating in the 6K range, before I get to my first round leaders, Spencer, yes or no on Higa? Uh, I don't I don't have enough data. I'm going to say no based off of that because he's outside the top 100 of my model. David? Um, Kazuki Higa is like 83rd in the world at the moment. 81, 81st in the world. And he's in the 6K range in a field that has like barely any golfers in the top 100. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that he's got the, the requisite upside for an absolute flyer from the 6K. Um, I'm surprised his ownership's only 3% is what I'm seeing at the moment. Like, I think that should be. Yeah, because, and, and I think it's because people are looking at him and they're just not seeing any course history. They're not seeing any recent history because, of course, he's doing things on different tours, not just the Euro Tour, but I think in the Asia Tour, he's, he's doing most of his damage as well. So he's just one of, he's just, to most people, he's such a speculative play, they're not willing to go in on it, I, I'm guessing. Uh uh, I'll give as well, like the he won the Dunlop Phoenix, which is like the the premium to tournament on the Japanese tour. Like the the guys in that field included the likes of Tom Kim, included the likes of Mito Pereira. So I mean, he's beating like really really good players, and he's coming across to a very weak PGA Tour event. And I think that the only reason he's priced the way it is is because DraftKings aren't going to read this in the context of, you know, this is a guy who plays the majority of his golf on another tour and he's actually killing it over there. They're reading in the context of, like, he's played two PGA Tour, tour events um, of late and, uh, like, he was 72nd at the Sony and, like, 36 at the Zozo. So they're going to look at that and just be like, oh, okay, we'll put him in the 6K range rather than realizing that there's actually a hell of a lot of upside there potentially. All right, so I'll give out my first round leaders. I've got Matt Kuchar at plus 5,000, 50 to 1. Uh, Matt Wallace, 55 to 1. Ben Martin, 80 to 1. 
And then I'm going to give out two bombs before I give out the easy button play. The two bombs are they're always going to be in the triple digits. Uh, one of them was mentioned, Kevin Chappell at 110 to 1. The other one is Ben Taylor at 110 to 1. I think Ben Taylor tracks like Ben Griffin, but maybe to a lesser extent where the short game has been really good with him. But for some reason, the ball striking just hasn't been there. I don't think he could necessarily just all of a sudden find the ball striking for four rounds, although I think it's possible. I think his outright odds are in that 130 to one range. I think Ben Taylor is live for a, a first round leader because we know he can do it with the short game. We've seen it before with the ball striking. So Ben Taylor, Kevin Chappell, both at 110 to one, Ben Martin, 80, Matt Wallace, 55, Matt Kuchar, 50. And then the last guy, this is the sixth guy, but again, I'm just throwing in two bombs at the end. So there's really kind of four with double digits and then two bombs with Ben Taylor and Kevin Chappell. This guy can't putt. He can't putt. But can he putt for one day? These are all AM guys. So hopefully the ball striking is so good where he is just on the right level and he nails some putts. Maybe he holds out somewhere and just gets really lucky because we know that can happen too. It's Aaron Rye at 70 to 1. He is going to be your first round leader come Thursday at the Valero Texas Open. We're two days. We are two days away from Thursday. And I'm telling you right now, Aaron Rye is your first round leader. Bet on the other guys too, because they'll probably be tied for first with Aaron Rye. But uh, before we get out of here, Spencer, what are we looking forward to? Any comments, any concerns? What what is what is the guy you're gonna have your eye on the most? I, I guess. Alex Noren, I think that's a really big way to get different in lineups. So Alex Noren's going to probably be one of my biggest exposure plays compared to the consensus of the market at the end of the day. Uh, I know I'm a little bit different than you guys, it seems, on Adam Shank, where I'm fading him with Nick Taylor. But uh, those are kind of like the two areas where are going to be the deciding points for me early in the week. Yeah, and for the record, I'm not highly confident in Adam Shank, and I'm not taking him in the betting market. I'm really probably just taking him a little bit in DFS, and I do like him in the lineup that I constructed. David, same question for you. Who are you kind of focused on? Anything you're looking forward to or weary of? I mean, I'm just going to respond to, to Byron's comment here and just let him know that actually New Zealand, we're three days in the future to, to the USA, and I've already seen who the first-round leader is, and I can confirm that Sierra is corrected as Aaron Rice. So just so you guys know, that that does happen. Yeah, I didn't know that. You should have told me that earlier. Uh, all these weeks yeah. I've been waiting and sweating these first round leaders. Granted, we hit them every time, but it would have been nice. Oh, you're just trying to like have me My have secret. a suspenseful moment. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I just want to give you guys the excitement of um, of, a, of a sweat for the first round leader. But yeah, it's, it's right. Again, there you go. You're a sweet man. You are a really sweet man. Okay, that is the Wind Daily Sports Show. Of course, next week is the Masters. So obviously you're going to want to tune in. We'll have a guest um, that everybody is going to know for the Masters, of course. And Joel will be back for that show as well. We're going to do deep dive like we always do. We're going to draft our teams. Hopefully everybody can make it. When you do, obviously hit the like button. Um, Spencer, is there anything I forgot? I know Joel usually closes the show. Did I forget anything? I think you forgot one thing. First of all, Jason Day we know is back. Jason Day, somebody asked the question. Jason Day, I do have a ticket for him on the Masters. I do think he is very, very, very live. And David, did I forget anything else? Um, yeah. I, what's the word for oh, um, sports? That's right. Sports. 